0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDIC.
1: How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV.
2: To behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Moreno New Zealand good morning to you Thursday morning here the 26th of May and uh, we begin the show this morning uh, with uh, women's football we're going to be talking to Gemma Lewis who has uh, just been re-signed as the uh, head coach for the uh, Wellington Phoenix uh, women's team of course. Uh, An interesting first season, but uh, much more preparation time this time around and the prospect of playing home games as well. So uh, what's going on uh, within that uh, team, which is, uh, of course, uh, part of a a women's programme and a women's time for football, which is so good with the World Cup coming Next year as well, joint hosting with Australia there. So we'll touch base with uh, Gemma on all those issues. Uh, We've got Caleb Hatch just after 10 o'clock this morning. Now, Caleb is the host of New Track Record Podcast, and we want to talk to him about the Indy 500. Scott Dixon has got pole again. Absolutely amazed some of his uh, fellow competitors, fellow drivers, with the way he handled the track and the speeds that he reached. So uh, we'll talk uh, to Caleb about that just after 10. We've got a panel with... Uh, This morning, consisting of Mark Hinton and Ross Carl. Uh, And then after 11 o'clock, something uh, a little bit different as well. We're going to uh, talk to Carolyn Young. Now, Carolyn is the uh, CEO of Special Olympics New Zealand. They had a great event at the weekend in Hamilton uh, to celebrate the fact that uh, they have got uh, around about 196 days now until the Special Olympics host the New Zealand Olympics. Uh, summer event in Hamilton so uh, we'll talk to Carolyn about Special Olympics, the setup, and uh, what we've got to look forward to there we'll also give you a greyhound uh, pick for the week, a harness racing pick for the week uh, and we'll have a stump smithy around about 11.30 so yep, pretty busy, Uh, let's get on with it Well, women's football in this part of the world is heading for yet another exciting time with uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup held next year, uh, jointly between Australia and here, of course. But also the A-League women's competition is just going from strength to strength, it seems. Last season, we saw the inaugural campaign of the Wellington Women's Phoenix team and uh, they say, great promise, signs for the future of the sport are really good. But the best news they had is that their coach... Gemma Lewis, head coach, is coming back for a second season. and I'm pleased to say we've got uh, Gemma on the show this morning. Gemma, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Was it an easy decision to come back?
4: Um, yeah, to be honest, it was pretty easy. Um, you know, it was, last year was just the start for us, I think. And, you know, hard circumstances of being in Australia. So when I had the chance to be based in Wellington and, and the opportunities to be able to potentially play in front of a home crowd and, and things like that, it was very, very hard to, to turn down.
3: Such a tough season last year for a number of reasons. But the good news is this year, of course, you actually have a place to call home.
4: Yeah, definitely. It's going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, the players are really excited about it. We're excited. Um, it's going to be so nice to try and like, actually get in touch with the community and the fan base here and, and see the support that we had because we were definitely quite disconnected from that in Australia. So being able to experience that will be a massive game changer for us.
3: Now you've got a home uh, actually at the New Zealand campus of uh, Innovation and Sport. Tell us a wee bit about that facility and what it offers you. Uh
4: that it's got to be one of like the world-leading um, uh, facilities within high-performance sport. To be honest, you know, um, Jamie and his team have done an incredible job um, uh, researching what all the pro teams have, and you know, even some of the Premier League teams like Man United and things like that. Um, Like, you know, looking at all their facilities and then taking it and putting it in one environment um, in Wellington is amazing. Um, You know, so everything you need from a performance level to be better as an athlete is all on one site, And the players are going to be able to get to experience that, um, which is going to be absolutely massive for us when it comes to um, player recruitment as well. To say we've got one of the best facilities um, definitely in Australasia, um, if if not in the world. Um, So it's an amazing thing to have.
3: You're playing your games uh, at uh, Sky Stadium, is that correct? Yes. Okay, cool. That's good. So you've got a big facility there now. Uh, At this point, let's talk about, you mentioned player retention um, and player recruitment as such. How's how's that uh, looking for you at this point? If we start with retention, the squad that you assembled last year, what are you looking like uh, in terms of the players wanting to return?
4: Yeah, no, we're in a really good space, you know. We we definitely want to build off what we did last season, you know. We had a young team, but I think, you know, they showed real potential and I think they showed, like, real promise of development. So, um, we definitely want to retain, like, a, a good core cool group of, of that um, team that we feel like can really go on and push this Wellington team forward, you know. They've started it, they've um, created the Phoenix identity and what we represent as the women's team. And we believe that um, a lot of them have the opportunity to move forward. So, Um, retention is is looking really good for us we've created like a really good environment where there is some like loyalty within the phoenix team as well like a lot of the players Mm -hmm. want to be playing for the phoenix um, and really enjoyed the experience um so yeah it's looking really good but we we definitely still need to add like that little bit of experience and um and some kind of a different caliber of player to the group to really help those young people move forward
3: when can you start that process
4: at starting. We're starting it. Um, you know, uh, getting getting me across the line was the first part, but and we're definitely kind of full steam ahead now. Um, starting conversations and, and kind of looking over in Australia as well. That's going to be the tough one for us. We still have to sign seven Australian players. Um, and with us now being based in New Zealand, that's quite a difficult challenge. Um, so, and with a new team, Western United, coming into the league, that's another team that are competing for Australian players as well. So, that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that we have that other teams don't have on them um, is that kind of minimum requirement to sign those seven Australians. Um, so that's something we definitely need to work on earlier. Um, so it's one of our first priorities is retention of the key players that we're bringing forward and then starting to look at those Australian players that we need to secure earlier.
3: The other thing I suppose uh, about att- attracting players from overseas is, is that you're such a new uh such a new uh franchise as such um you know and it was a tough year last year everyone thought it would be and, and it proved to be the case uh but uh, how how are you going to actually lure them to new zealand how, how do you go about that i mean as, I, I guess money is a bit of a factor in that but what else can you sell them
4: yeah well i definitely think um the facilities at nzcis come into that um you know it's it's they're by far the best facilities in the a-league um no other team will be able to compete. Um, with, with what we have access to. And I think that's one of um, the, like a big, a big like carrot for us, so to speak, because um, those people that are wanting to kind of kick on and improve their professional career or play for their country, we've got a facility that's going to really enhance that and, and give you what you need to try and get you to your next level. I think so. that's a big one that we can really kind of um, sell, so to speak. But I also think what we've created with the Phoenix, you know, we were definitely underdogs. Nobody really expected much. Um, but we played in a, and you know, aggressive way. We pressed. We were brave when we were playing. Um, we were creative. I think we kind of created a, a way of playing and a way we were perceived by the other teams in the A League, um, in a way that showed like promise and showed somebody, some, a team that somebody might want to be involved in. Um, so I definitely think we can kind of attract some players in that regard. Um, and even players that, you know, a very good caliber but might have not got the chance in other teams because other teams have like such big names in their teams you know we have this team where it's like this opportunity of those players getting to really shine on a stage that they haven't been given the chance yet
3: so Jim, the the season uh, as such uh, upcoming has it, has it been announced what the structure will be is it similar to this year in terms of length etc
4: um, we, we don't know yet. It's definitely going to be an expanded league. Um, you know, Western United have come in. Uh, there's also talks of potentially another team coming in, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, so there's definitely going to be more rounds and, and an extension of, of last season, um, which, is, which is really good, but we, we don't actually know what that looks like yet and how many rounds will be included in the season, but we've been signalled that, that it will be an expanded league, um, which is great for the game and, and, and great for the players. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing what that is.
3: So uh, last year, you basically had five minutes to prepare. This year, at least you've got six months. (laughs) And and So when I I look at retention of players, I'm also looking at retention of uh, your your support staff, your technical staff. Um, I suppose that's on the agenda too. Are they keen to be back?
4: Yeah, definitely. You know, we're already in conversations. Um, You know, we had a really good support staff and and it made the job so much easier and and it was a key part of what we created. So um, that's the same as, as the players. We want to bring those people forward um those people that are kind of keen to keep pushing forward with the phoenix um we want to bring them into the fold as well so yeah definitely the things that are on the agenda right now and it's going to be a busy couple of weeks to try and make some, some key signings.
3: jimmy you mentioned connecting with your uh, community building a fan base here at home how are you going to go about doing that
4: visibility is the main thing you know having the players here um you know yes we train and we work hard um but you know, there's times where they can they can get out, they can go and visit clubs, they can and um, be on the grass, they can um, go and see like young players that are that are excited about um, about football. Um, you know, we can show support to our sponsors. Um, you know, we can be there at the stadiums and go and visit, see people at the end of games, and sign some shirts and take some pictures. You know, we haven't got the experience to be able to do that. So I think being able to like that's important to the players. You know, they want to give back to the support that they had last year. Um, which was really hard in, in the circumstances. But the, the country got behind us and, and, and the media supported us and, and we felt that, but we were disconnected from it. So now it's the case of, well, we want to get amongst it now. We, we want to show that we appreciate the support and we want to give back and, and really inspire that next generation that are coming through um, and make the Phoenix and, and Wellington um, home for the women's team.
3: That's getting back to this uh, factor about having to sign uh, seven Australian players, I mean... Uh, I mean, you just simply have to have them. That, uh, no matter the quality of the player, you must simply have uh, seven of them. Is, is that the, the absolute written and concrete rule, is it?
4: Yeah, it is. And that's what makes it extremely tough because, um, yeah, like, they, they, you know, right now the better players will be able to play in Australia really easily. And as much as it's a professional league, a lot of these players still have jobs or studies. Um, so the ability to be able to leave Australia is limited. Um, so, and we're all kind of competing for the same pool of players. Um, so it does become very difficult because regardless, like you said, of the quality of what we can sign, we need to, we need to sign seven Australians. Um, and that's going to be one of the big keys for us this year. If we can do a really good job and get that right, um, then it's really going to strengthen our team. Um, but it is something that is, is a cause of concern for us because of the fact that, um, we're a team in New Zealand, um, it's hard to ask players to up and leave for kind of five six months um, and potentially leave their jobs and things like that when um, yeah when we're, we're kind of the league is professional, but it's not a full year contract um, so that's a hard justification for us at the moment.
3: okay, so you bring up an interesting thing there for me uh, just how professional is it I mean your 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 bills your, um, your that are in playing at the moment um, you know they've obviously got other aspects to their life as well. Just how professional is it compared to, say, um, the men's side of the A League?
4: So the men's side of the A League, they if they sign a contract, it's their job. You know, they don't have to pick up something else. They can do it full time. They can dedicate their whole whole lives to it, and and that is their job from the, for the whole year. Um, but in the women's game, that that's not the case. Um, so it wouldn't be enough to live off. Um, you wouldn't be able to afford um, like accommodation and and kind of. Um, pay food and everything else that comes with it, um, off of just what you earn within that kind of five months. Um, it's getting, it's definitely getting better, um, but the, there's still a big gap between the, um, the men's and the women's game. I think expansion and like the fact that we're getting more teams and more rounds in will help that because if it can go to a full season, um, you know, if it can get to eight, nine months of a season or somewhere around there, you're starting to look Mm -hmm. at maybe it would be a salary that that somebody could live off. But right now we're not there um, and that does present a challenge. But I definitely think like the FA and things, it looks like it's it's, and the APL are looking like it's trying to get there. Um, But that'll be a big game changer when players can actually dedicate their lives to being a professional athlete. Um, and know that they have the security of, of having kind of a contract for the year and they can live off it and they can dedicate their lives to being better at what they do.
3: Gemma, of course, uh, one of the considerations I guess you had uh, coming into accepting the role uh, again for another year is the other job, uh, very busy job that you've got, particularly within New Zealand football. and Of course, that's the future of Fern's domestic programme as such. Uh, tell us a wee bit about that and the, the talent pool we've got in New Zealand these days.
4: Yeah. Um, you know, it's a full-time program that we have, um, and and we train kind of four times a week. Um, we're in the gym, we play games against a variation of different boys teams that really kind of challenge us and, 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 kind of replicate what we face on a world stage in terms of speed of the game and the technical ability of the game. Um, it's really good for us to have players in one environment, um, we get to work with them day in, day out. Um, we get to really individualise what they do um, and try and prepare them for their their next level. Um, and it's produced a lot of really good players, and we've managed to get players in a really good environments um, and and kind of sign them into professional um, professional football, which is um, really really good to see. And we're starting to see a good like positive flow of players coming through, um, which is really important. Um, I see it as almost like a finishing school. You know, they develop within their clubs Um, And they come in to us for the last kind of year or so and we kind of put the finishing touches on, really push them that extra couple of percent and try and get their visibility exposed to either the A-League, you know, the Phoenix or teams even in bigger leagues. Um, And and that's really, really important for us. Um, Right now as well, you know, we have kind of 13 of the Phoenix players training full time um, in that program as well. So it's creating an environment for them in the off season that they're still able to train, they're still able to improve, they're still able to push. Um, which is going to be a game-changer for us when it comes to the season.
3: And, of course, uh, in August, uh, the Under-20 Women's World Cup is, is in Costa Rica. The world's a freer place now. We can travel, which is it's, uh, seriously a, a exciting proposition for you coming up in a group with, what, Colombia, Germany and Mexico. So how's that squad coming along?
4: Yeah, it's it's an exciting one, you know. Um, again, Phoenix has brought us another opportunity where we had, you know, I think it was eight players that were under twenties eligible um, that played in that in, in the Phoenix team last year, um, and that, so that's eight players that have got professional football um, experience under their belt that they wouldn't have had if they, if we didn't have that team. Um, so you know, and they've come a long way, and we can see that. So having that sort of experience within the team now um, creates a really really good environment um, for the players that we've got coming through. And again, that Future Ferns group, you know, we've probably got about 14 players that are 20s eligible, um, so that are training, you know, most days and and really pushing themselves. So I feel like as a team, like, you know, we really need to take the opportunity and and try and show that we can be competitive on a world stage. Um, And at age groups, you know, we've got a history of doing well, um, and we want to be able to play a style of football that we believe in, that is going to be positive for the future and generate Ferns, not just kind of secure results but we also want to show that we can play that way and and we can still um, get results against some of the bigger teams. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be extremely challenging. Um, you know, we haven't seen any sort of kind of age group football on the world stage for so long, um, that it's going to be really interesting to see the development of other countries as well and, and what we're up against. Um, but it's going to be definitely a great experience for the players and a real game-changer because it's a platform to really expose yourself and show what you can do on a world stage. You know, there's big teams, big leagues that are looking at that that kind of under-20s World Cup because that's where you see your next crop of like potential players coming through, and it can be a really good opportunity for players to get some exposure.
3: The joint venture with Australia and hosting the Women's World Cup, I mean, it's not... It's not till next year, but next year will roll around very quickly, I would imagine. Um, from your experience and your uh, your involvement with uh, New Zealand football, uh, how are the preparations going along with that in, in uh, conjunction with FIFA?
4: Yeah, no, it, it's good. You know, they're, they're working through training facilities right now, and, and I know they've done visits of training facilities and, and kind of, yeah, starting to really put. Put things in place and secure things, and obviously we saw that the draw is going to be done in 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 um in Auckland, which will be amazing. Um, so everything's kind of coming along, and um, and you're right, it's going to get here really soon. Um, and and it's really interesting because it's going to be such a huge event, and I'm not sure that like New Zealand understands how huge it's going to be yet. Um, mm. like in, in women's football, we've seen like look at the look at the Champions League final, look at the crowds that they're getting in, look at. You know, the uh, NWSL or the National League in um, the US and the crowds that they're getting, you know, it's going to be huge. um, And it's going to be so big for for New Zealand. um, So it's going to be extremely exciting. And I think, yeah, a lot of people will embrace it. But I'm not sure we really know what we're in for. Yeah, it's going to be pretty incredible.
3: Jimma? Absolute pleasure to catch up with you this morning. You're such a busy woman, I know. So we're glad you found a bit of time for us. <laughs> um, the great news is you've signed for re signed with the Phoenix and you continue your development with uh, women's football in this country and we're the better for it. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with what's coming up, eh?
2: Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: 9.27 here too. A fascinating chat there with uh, Jim uh, Lewis uh, and she'll do great things with uh, New Zealand football and the, the Phoenix will only go ahead you, you uh, predict that don't you? Uh, we've got an opportunity for you to win a chemist warehouse voucher to the value of50 dollars just after 9:30 this morning with the news with Araha and then uh, subjects today this Matt Lodge thing's not going to go away I, I just don't I just clarify with Kempy actually uh, he just walks away. Uh, he plays a bit of club rugby in Brisbane on the weekend. Could possibly sign in the next couple of days for another NRL club. Keeps the Warriors seven hundred thousand plus the new contract. I mean, what is what is with that? So who's who is at fault here? I mean, uh, then the Warriors are saying nothing. Uh, Warren no, saying nothing about it. So obviously. There's something there between the lines because I I just don't see how that can happen. Otherwise, why don't they all just do that? Why don't you just, if you're not happy with your club, just walk away. So I'm leaving, uh, take your money and then grab your next contract as well. Is that standard practice in the NRL? I mean, it's news to me. So uh, I'd love to hear from you on the Matt Lodge scenario and uh, whether... You think uh, something else has to happen at the Warriors' set-up because of this. That's a big bill to pay and then have it off your salary cap going forward as well that you can't access. That is, to me, the most punishing thing of the lot. You can't. You know, it's just dead money. It's dead money, not dead to Matt Lodge, that's for sure. The other one of interest, I read an article yesterday where uh, John Kerwin, Sir John Kerwin said Roger Tuovasashek should be straight in the All Blacks right now, straight into the All Blacks squad right now, and should play in the tests against Ireland. Uh, interesting. What do you think? Uh, does he does he deserve uh, to be uh, on form, on what you've seen, or is it all about promise? Uh, love to hear from you on that. You can text us too on double eight double three, but preferably I'd love to hear your, your calls, 0800 150 811. Uh, we're going to have a, a good old chinwag about that. Uh, your opinion on RTS? Has he made the ground necessary in the early stages of his rugby career? Bearing in mind, of course, he has played before, but has he made those steps big enough to secure a place in the All Blacks right from the outset? Uh, love to hear from you on that. I'm sure that's an op- opinion that uh, is being talked about around uh, a lot of rugby circles. Uh, also, of course, don't forget, after uh, 10 o'clock this morning, we'll be talking about the Indianapolis 500, one of the great races, the great spectacle in race, the greatest spectacle in racing, they call it. The 106th running of it uh, is this Monday morning, New Zealand time. And who's on pole? our boy Scott Dixon is on poll. so uh, we'll be talking uh, a lot about that to um, Caleb Hatch uh, who has got a, a very successful podcast on that subject so uh, we will uh, take a short break here now uh, with Araha with uh, an update and then come back to your calls
5: Smithy brought to you by Chemist Warehouse great savings every day call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher 0800-150-811
3: 9.32 here on SENZ. Yes, that's the queue to call. 0800-150-811 and Nick from Dunedin has uh, called through. Nick, uh, what is on your mind? Is it a, a Matt Lodge story or is it something to do with Roger Tuovasashek?
6: Oh, well, Lodge is a bit of a... I mean, you wonder how they got into that situation where you can sign a contract like you said and then he... Just to walk away with seven hundred thousand, you know, it's laughable. Now that's going to hamper them through to the, you know, the next season with that money. So, yeah, it's not good. It's just, it's just piss poor. But I think us to check. Yeah, definitely get them in there.
3: What What have you seen that uh, puts them ahead of um, the incumbents?
6: Well, who's the incumbents? What Supaya.
3: Well, there's, there's Depay, there's David Harvey, there's uh, Goodhue returning, uh, there's Io- Ioani in the centres, uh, Rico Ioani in the centres as well. Um, you know, there is a number of candidates uh, there uh, at, the, at this present point in time. What have you seen that puts him alongside those guys in the half-dozen games that he's played?
6: Oh, I just think he's it's all there. I mean, from what you can see, he, he is all class, and he's playing good rugby at the moment. I mean, it's been a wee bit, a wee bit play, he had that injury, but I think... Any rugby brain can see he's got the skills and he's only going to get better. I mean, Geordie Barrett's not a 12 to start with, so he's out of the equation. pavelli's going to be in the mix? I don't know. He's got some big decisions. These selectors have got some big decisions coming up, and it's got to be right.
3: Well, they have got a lot you of know, decisions. I mean, first, uh, yeah, I agree.
6: Personally, who's your fullback? Who's your starting fullback?
3: Oh, it has to be uh, Will Jordan, doesn't he? He's one of the best rugby players on the planet at the moment. I, I, personally, I just think he has to play, doesn't
6: he? 100% all day, all day. So then where does that put Geordie Barrett? You know, is Geordie Barrett on the wing? I mean, Geordie Barrett's not really a winger. Well, maybe he is there because Caleb Clarkson, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I just hope the decisions get made right, you know. You can see them putting Barrett at the back and Jordan on the wing. It's just, yeah, I don't know. You know, you've got five coaches in the setup now. I mean, so you sort of wonder what Foster's doing. Is he just
3: overseeing everything? with it? Seems a lot of coaches. Uh, well, JK made a, a, a really interesting statement when he said, you can see Joe Smith uh, sitting over the top, and he'll have a lot of uh, input now. Of course, Joe Smith's going to be involved with the All Blacks. He's certainly a, a hands-on consultant with the Blues. You see him uh, very much involved there. Um, I would say that Ian Foster and Co. will take Joe Smith's guidance on just where Roger Torresa Sheik is at. Would you think that's a possibility?
6: Oh, definitely. I think Joe Smith's going to have a lot to say in this next set up, and it's a it's a very good sign go for the All that's going ahead. I mean, after last year, we were in big trouble. When we all could see that things weren't working right, so it'll be a good series coming up. Looking forward to it.
3: Nick, can the Highlanders go to Eden Park and and uh, upset the the Blues? Say again, sorry. Can the Highlanders, can the Highland, your Highlanders go to Eden Park and upset the Blues? Oh, yeah, it'd to
6: be, yeah, I don't yeah. Probably not. But you can't Probably say not. that, you know, on
3: their day, they can, yeah. yeah. No, good on you. Okay, Nick, thank, thanks very much for your call this morning, mate. The Nick from Dunedin there. Uh, I think we'll go to Zade next. Uh, Zade, regular caller from uh, Auckland. Uh, what, what's uh, on your mind this morning, Zade?
7: This Matt Lodge situation is absolutely ridiculous. How can you pay him seven hundred grand and there's a salary cap? What do you think they're doing, man? Cameron Cameron George needs to be gone, and all he, oh, he needs to come out and tell us something about it. You can't just be paying him extra money when he doesn't even want to come to New Zealand. We're just giving him more handouts. What, what's up with this stupid club? I've had enough. You know, you let this U N A can go to Dolphins. They're literally just using the Warriors to get a foot in the door, and then they're just going to leave us. And now he's going to go play rugby. He's not even playing rugby league. What's he up to?
3: <laughs> what is he up to, Zade? Oh, I never heard you this animated. Obviously, this has got you really fired up.
7: Yeah, I'm just just wondering, well, what's he up to? He's going to play rugby. He's not even playing rugby league. And that uh, there's something clearly going on between Sean O'Sullivan and um, Cameron George, which is not sound good. And I heard something about what Israel Dagg was saying, which I, I agree with. He was saying back in 2018, he sat down with the Crusaders and said, I can't play anymore because I'm injured and they, I can't play. So they gave him money. I agree with that contract because Israel Dagg had to retire. Matt Lodge is just going to play rugby. He's not retiring. He's not doing anything. The Warriors are just giving him three money. So he's just getting paid three money, not even to play for the Warriors anymore now. What, what's up with that?
3: Well, I, I can only think that within his contract there was a clause to say that uh, he didn't have to come to New Zealand if the Warriors relocated. In other words, it's almost like a COVID contract. Whilst COVID was a factor in the equation uh, and everything was going to be played in Australia, then uh, Matt Lodge was committed to the Warriors. But as soon as they made noises about reading, setting up at home and coming home for some games in July and then, of course, the season's getting back to normal... Uh, he said, "That's not what I want to do." So, Zay, thank you very much for your call this morning, uh, Graham. Uh, now of Marlborough, formerly of Northland. Uh, Graham, good morning to you.
8: Good day, Smithy. How are you? Um, yeah, just quick, a couple of quick things. Firstly, the Warriors don't care, but I feel for the fans. I think you know they become they're just a laughing stock at the moment, and I really feel for the guys like Young Zade and and. Um, you know, So Peter Leach, those sort of guys, Who's, yeah, I just think far out. How can you allow this to happen? Uh, with RTS and the comments John Kerman made, I don't really have a lot of time for John Kerman and some of the things he says. Um, no way he's ready to be an All Black. Uh, end of year tour, if he's lucky. His, is, his the defensive lines, he's still not there. He's got a lot to learn. Maybe take him on the end of the year tour so that he can learn that. Um, and what does it say to Quinn Tupaiya, David Harveyley, Jack Goodju, um, Umanga, young Umanga, the young Timu boy from the Highlanders? You know what does it say to those guys if he just walks in? He hasn't done anything yet. He's only played six games. So yeah, just give him a bit of time. Maybe he'll get there, but I don't think he's up for it at the moment. Um, yeah, just you know, got to, you got And as for the final, it's going to be a Crusaders-Brumbies final. The Blues won't make it. They've got get a, started to get a few injuries, and yeah, they just. I just think they'll they'll fall over at the second to last hurdle, in my view.
3: I know that you've got an allegiance, uh, a, a nice allegiance too. I appreciate that to uh, Northland Rugby. So, Tom Robinson, All Black material this time around.
8: I hope so, I hope so, because so. um, he can cover two positions and he does it very well, um, but yeah, I'm just oh, maybe he's a little bit, uh, I think he's a little bit too much like, um, you know, the, the Crusaders coach Robertson, because you know, he's just a flamboyant sort of guy, maybe they don't like that in the All Blacks anymore, I just, you know, he's, he speaks his mind and he, he's his own man, so maybe he, maybe they just don't want that anymore. But I think he's good enough, but, yeah, I just, I, there's a couple of them up there. I think, I think you know, I, I know Josh Goodyear very well, and I think he when he's, when he's on, he's really on. And it's mm-hmm. like there's, you know, there's no one really around that, that's better than him. They may be as good as, but they're not better. So he, and he's only 26. Tom's 27. You know, like, yeah, I don't think they'll pick Tom, but I, I hope they do yeah you just say mate. well there's seven coaches in the All Blacks now mate you know what the hell does Ian Foster do yeah, like, well.
3: they've,
8: added, they've, added, they've added two more Andrew Strawbridge and um Mike uh, Mike Cron I think it is yeah so God knows what they all do to earn their paychecks <laughs> like the first caller said you know like yeah what what the hell do they all do but yeah, like RTS, yeah. no way. Too early for him yet, in my view. But Ken and Ken will probably shoot me down shortly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, uh, Graham, appreciate your call. Um, and uh, you're in the draw, of course, to win the chemist warehouse voucher for fifty bucks. As are you, Ricky from Palmerston North. Good morning to you.
6: All right, in you mate?
3: Oh, I'm good. I'm really good. What do you reckon?
6: Uh the
9: lodge thing. It's a. I think it's a bit of a leadership issue. Very little was was sort of made when Rob Croup got moved sideways and the owner came back in around the challenges. And some of the Warriors' issues, I think, are just unlucky, obviously. And, you know, I don't know we'll we'll ever understand the impact that being away for so long has had. But they are sometimes their own worst enemy. Um, and we, this, I, I, no one's ever going to get to bother with us. I mean, they're never, ever going to tell us the honest truth about this decision because there's not one bar of it that makes any sense. The impact on ongoing um, salary caps will have an impact, not just for this year, next year, but the year after. Uh, so they haven't future-proofed themselves at all. They've clearly dug themselves a hole in which they had to pay to get out of it. I can't imagine they they wanted to pay it. But somehow it's put them in the bum. And, uh, and we've got these hardcore, die-hard loyal players who, you know, come out of injury and put their body back on the line and it just doesn't, I mean Nathan Brown, I think he's on a bit of a high I like what he's saying more of late Uh, you know, I like the fact he's happy to to give the boys a bit of accountability but they, they are, unfortunately they are under the pump at every level and now you've got some leadership issues which must undermine some of the decisions that those stars are looking at down the future
3: yeah uh, it's just it just smells a wee bit to me uh, to be perfectly honest I mean I know Cameron George he's a bloody good man um, and uh, you know I, I can't I just kind of think uh, he's uh, a little bit hamstrung here um, uh, and and contained about what he's able to do and what he was able to say and I know at the end of the day the buck stops with the CEO um, and he will cop flack for that and he will know that. But I, I just, I would love to know. I, I would just love to get to the bottom of that. Ricky, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Bruce from Christchurch has uh, called in as well. Thank you, Bruce, for making the effort.
10: Uh, always try to, uh, Um Man, I shake and bang my head against the wall. What, uh, uh, all the callers have made good points. And uh, I, I guess there's, there's components in the contract that, we may or should never know and that's maybe part of the uh, the situation. What? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure if you can blame it on COVID, but maybe that, that was part of the deal, that the conditions in there that he was able, not, he didn't want to play whenever he wanted, but what the hell do the other players in the team think of it? Uh, it's just such a bizarre position, because if I was in there, I've been, you know, you you sort of think, oh, I'm not really happy here, and I'd rather go and do something else. I'll see what I can get out of it or whatever. Uh, it's just very sad, um, and frustrating. I'll, I'll move on, mate, to the Roger Ture Sheik. Um I, I sort of compare it, his signing when he came over here and converted to um, Sunny Bill Williams. Um, but the one difference Sunnyball Williams was a bit more of a beast, and he had a point of difference with that absolute strength and that offload and He made a difference when he was brought into the all black uh, t- position and into their planning i'm not sure if Roger Turbarcheker has quite quite got that yet, and he he's not going to have the space. Um, to jink and dive in international rugby. It's, it's sort of different. Um, there, are, We've got a more instinctive rugby players that are playing now um, right through the country and I believe they probably deserve the chance ahead of them. I hear what John Kirvan's thoughts are and I, I think that's partly um, some passion towards the uh, you know the Yorkton side of it. So it, involve him certainly he, he played years ago in New Zealand schoolboys and he, he's obviously got you know, he's got skill and stuff so later on in the year I feel um, and maybe keep, keep the powder dry till, till nearer the World Cup if you want to plan and have a point of difference with him
3: Totally agree Bruce absolutely totally agree with that to me personally um, I, I don't think he has the, At this stage plays himself Into an automatic position uh, With the All Blacks, thanks so much for your calls this morning uh, Fantastic, absolutely fancy, Fantastic uh, input Into the show, it is uh, 9.47 Here on SENZ, we'll be back very shortly And we'll announce uh, the winner of that $50 voucher from the Chemist Warehouse too
2: Byside Brand Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport In Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ
3: It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Yes, and uh, our women's refuge, of course, is our charity that we're we're picking these uh, harness racing horses for uh, each week. Uh, So racing at Auckland on Friday. This is our one for this week, Okay, So Alexandra Park, race for number five, Super Duper Luca. Super Duper Luca. Good luck calling that... uh, if you're up there, I think Aaron White's calling them up there. So, yeah, get your head around that one if it's a close finish. Uh, not an easy field, they say, but recent form has been encouraging and it might be paying OK money. So we need that. We've got to add to our current total of 395 bucks to give to Women's Refuge. Uh, we will also have a greyhound uh, before uh, the show concludes today as well as uh, part of our normal Thursday process here. A lot of texts coming in about uh, RTS in particular. But I, I just, uh, the Matt Lodge thing, I was interested to read in the article where uh, he went along and, and uh, they said, we've got a reserve grade game tonight. He said, uh, yep, I'd love to play in that. That's fine. Um, this is the rugby team that he's playing for North. Paid his sub on the spot, bought his socks and his shorts as well so he could take part in the game and laced up his boots and got stuck in straight away. Uh, just imagine uh, 700,000 bucks when they looked at uh, those other guys on the team had to pay a sub thinking in this guy at number eight, $700,000 to play club rugby with us. How cool. 953 here on SENZ.
2: Iris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: And uh, coming up to ten o'clock, just uh, to tell you about the multi from yesterday, Taylor Fritz was beaten by BZ Morales, uh, so uh, we lost that one. But BJ Morales is part of uh, our uh, multi this morning. I, I figure that John Isner, the big serving American, uh, John Isner will beat him at a dollar forty-five in the French Open. Uh, Boston Celtics to beat the Miami Heat today at a dollar sixty-seven, and the tonight rugby league NRL, the Storm minus an eleven and a half points minus. 11.5 points after the serve they would have got from Bellamy during the week. They'll do it up and beat Manly convincingly tonight at $1.90. Multi value today $4.60. Motor racing coming up the Indy 500.
2: New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
11: He has been denied more than one victory multiple times, and that's a major source of frustration for Scott Dixon. Last year was a real annoying race for him with fuel issues. But guess what? He's challenged that and challenged it into positivity. Scott
2: Dixon is a five-time Indianapolis pool
3: winner.
2: And he's done it in the
3: fastest way. Wow, that's Scott Dixon qualifying and securing pole position for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Not only was it his uh, fifth of his Indy uh, 500 career, but was also the fastest pole run in Indy car history. The Iceman was pushed by his competitors with unusually fast times in qualifying, building the anticipation, which sure to be a classic edition of the greatest spectacle in racing. It all takes place uh, 4.45 New Zealand time to provide us with insight into the leader of the race as Indianapolis uh, native and host of the new track record podcast, Caleb Hatch. Caleb, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Thanks so much uh, for joining us.
12: Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, listen, Scott Dixon, obviously very dear to our heart. Uh, just uh, tell us uh, about that performance. Uh, was it uh, was it Dixon's skills as a driver there that made the difference, or perhaps the car?
12: A uh, little bit of both, but, I mean, honestly, Scott Dixon has been doing this for so long, right, and he's established himself kind of on the next level in this series as one of the all-time greats in IndyCar, arguably, One of the greatest IndyCar drivers of all time, Uh, perhaps the greatest IndyCar driver of all time, uh, some could argue. So he just always finds a way to find that extra oomph in qualifying. And, you know, for a guy whose first pole came all the way back in 2008, where he won from pole for this race, his qualifying performances have gotten better over the years. And he's become kind of the guy in Indy 500 qualifying.
3: (laughs) Can you tell us a wee bit about the background of this uh, great race uh, Caleb uh, because it is uh, regarded as the greatest spectacle in racing um, at the brickyard why the brickyard
12: So the brickyard quite simply when they built the track uh, there were millions of bricks laid down and so that why that's why it was called the brickyard and they still have a yard of bricks at the start finish line kind of as an homage to that so it's uh it's it started with actual bricks that were put down, paving bricks, and over the time they started filling in some of the bricks with asphalt. Obviously, now still just the yard of bricks of the start finish line that uh, make up the name, the Brickyard.
3: Fantastic, and we're looking at a what a crowd of uh, say three hundred thousand people. Is that right?
12: Yes, uh, three hundred thousand or more expected. Ticket sales have been and quite good for this event, and. It's really no surprise. You have a lot of storylines. Scott Dixon, obviously the the story line you're focused on there in New Zealand, but also Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, participating in his first Indy 500 qualifying uh, 12th. Then Also, Ramon Grosjean, familiar to F1 fans. He's also participating in his first Indy 500 as well, starting in 9th and uh, in the U.S., it'll be the first full capacity in the 500 since 2019. And, and last I saw ticket sales trending up about 10% higher than they were in 2019 as of a, a week or so ago. And they're expecting the largest race day crowd that they've had in Indy outside of the 100th running in 2016 when it was a complete sellout. But the largest race day crowd in about 20 years.
3: Caleb, 300,000 people around an oval track, Uh, I think they they go around it, uh, my estimation is uh, around about 200 times, I think it's 2.5 miles uh, the circuit, so yeah, 200 laps, Uh, do they even get a chance to to take in the crowd, uh, the drivers?
12: Well, their only chance really to take in in the crowd, they have parade laps at the beginning, they'll do a handful of of those behind a, a pace car, So that's where they can kind of take in the crowd. And for some of these drivers, uh, some of the young guys, it's going to be their first full capacity Indy 500. I talked with Renus VK earlier today, and I didn't think about it, but uh, my co-host on the podcast, Justin Kinney, brought up that this will be his first race with a full capacity Indy 500. His rookie year is 2020 when they didn't have fans. Last year, uh, 135,000 fans uh, estimated in the stands as they capped attendance. And so that's another thing to think about because – Uh, the race changes when you're driving around you know in practice and qualifying it changes your depth perception seeing all those fans crammed into the bleachers and and it kind of changes how you approach turn one so that will be something to keep in mind especially for the younger drivers and rookies in this event
3: caleb hitch uh, i just wonder the, the, the indianapolis 500 is that is that the jewel in the crown for these guys
12: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's why these guys wake up every day to train. It's why they're sitting through, you know, all the engineering meetings. It's the testing. Um, Yes, you want to win some other the kind of crown jewel events on on the circuit like Road America, which is a a top road course, Long Beach, uh, well-established street course race as well. But these guys, it's all about the Indy 500. They take an Indy 500 over series championship win any day of the week.
3: Okay, let's uh, look at the, the other contenders. Of course, Scott Dixon has polled, but uh, Chip Canassi, uh, it looks as if they're going to play quite a strong hand in the event.
12: Yes, Alex Palou, the defending NTT IndyCar Series champion, starting right behind his teammate Scott Dixon in second. He's one of the guys to keep an eye on. He finished second to Elio Castroneves last year. I think he has a really strong chance to pick up his first Indy 500 win on Sunday. You look at elsewhere in the Ganassi team, they're just so strong, right? You had four in the fast six in qualifying, Marcus Erickson starting fifth, Tony Kanaan, who won in 2013, starting sixth, and then Jimmy Johnson starting 12th and had an incredible save on his first qualifying lap between turns one and two. Otherwise, I think he'd be starting up quite a bit higher. Then you get outside of the Ganassi stable where they have five true contenders Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing always has fast cars for qualifying and has improved their race day performance. Marini VK in third, Ed Carpenter in fourth, and uh, Connor Daly back in 18th, but he led the most laps last year. I I think once you get out of that, some more dark horse picks, you have Takuma Sada, who's won this race twice before. You have uh, Simon Pagino, who won back in 2019 and 16th. And, And I think kind of the question marks in our, the Andretti team, uh, Michael Andretti's team, you have guys like Roman Grosjean I mentioned. He's starting ninth. I think that was a bit of a surprise, his qualifying performance, but he's a rookie. But then the guys you expected to be up there, Alexander Rossi all the way back in 20th, Marco Andretti 23rd, Colton Herta, 25th. I mean, these are some big names in the sport, guys you would expect to be contending, but they're starting pretty far back in the pack. And then also with the Meyer Shank team, Simon Fasino kind of starting mid-pack, but Elio Castroneves all the way back in 27th. And Team Penske, right? Scotty McLaughlin mm. back in 26. I think he's had a great season so far, but when you start that far back, it makes it tough. And uh, Will Power with a, a solid effort in 11th. And then Joseph Newgarden, 14th. You, you would think Joseph Newgarden would win this race eventually. He's come close before. He's one of the top drivers in the series, but for whatever reason... The Indy 500 has not worked out his way just yet.
3: What happened to Scott McLaughlin in qualifying? I mean, he's been to the fore in a lot of uh, races already, and he had a Rookie of the Year performance last year. He started this year well. But here we find him at 26th uh, in terms of uh, starting position. What happened uh, with with that situation, Caleb?
12: Yeah, so he was looking to start mid-pack. Um, Then there were some storms that that rolled through, some rains. There was a bit of a delay, but there was just enough of a gap for the track to reopen, get dried, and finish some qualifying runs. Some guys had to go. Takuma Sato, who was disqualified. Marco Andretti, who had to requalify because of uh, Sato's uh, disqualification. Um, They had to go, and then I believe uh, there's uh, another driver who waited in line. But then Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden both went out. Now, McLaughlin finished his run. He actually went slower on this run on Saturday afternoon at Indianapolis. And so he moved back several spots. So that gamble did not pay off. Joseph Newgarden kind of lucked out as there was lightning spotted in the area. So he was on the warm-up lane, hadn't quite taken his qualification run. So he's still locked in at 14th. But for Penske overall, I, I think it's just a big surprise. This is a couple years in a row now that they've struggled in qualifying. And while, yes, Penske wants to win the Indy 500, but qualifying is probably priority number two for that organization so to see them not have fast cars a couple of years in a row is a big surprise however on race day and their race cars i expect the penske cars like mclaughlin new garden uh to be moving up in the field and catching up to their teammate Will Power.
3: from a manufacturer's standpoint caleb uh, does this race determine whether a year has been successful or not
12: Yeah, quite often it does. Honda and Chevy are so close in this series. And, you you know, it's hard to know what to expect going into the Indy 500 every year. What team will have the qualifying speed? Uh, What manufacturer will have the speed for the race? And it really comes down on Sunday to outright fuel mileage, right? So, Just because uh, one manufacturer may have more pace, if you're not getting good fuel mileage, it's not going to help you out in the long run. You may have to make more frequent pit stops. It it, it ruins the strategy and makes it a lot tougher. But Honda winning this race last year with Elio Castro Nevis is a win for Honda, a big boost for them. They've won a couple years in a row now as Sato won for Honda in 2020. So we'll see if Honda can make it three in a row here or if Chevy can bounce back and you know, it, it the the power side outside of Ed Carpenter Racing seemed to be with Honda in qualifying, but that narrative can always shift on race day.
3: So that's where Dixon got it wrong last time around, wasn't it? Was the fuel strategy, as such, that cost him? So, uh, what what will he have learnt from that? What what we should be looking back back in New Zealand um, next Monday morning in terms of the strategies of the various uh, manufacturers, as such, and. and Uh, Do we do we come to a point now where Dixon is the main driver? We see quite often that you know we have main drivers uh, with certain manufacturers, and that do they get preference in the strategies as such?
12: Uh, Not necessarily. It's it's more on a team side when it comes to who gets preference. And so with a team like Anassi, you have five bullets, right? So you can run multiple strategies amongst the engineers and, and the the teams. And see who can kind of pay off, do different strategies, maybe make a gamble with one driver, not with another. So he'll be on kind of the main strategy unless there's a a big change up early on in the race. And then you kind of tweak and experiment with some of the other cars. And so obviously having that pole position, they're going to do everything they can to help him win the race. And and last year was just unfortunate timing, right? Uh, Caught out on the caution, ran out of fuel, had to limp to pit lane had to take service in a closed pit, got penalized for that. And it was just kind of a a mid pack day for him the rest of the way. But, uh, you know, it, it gets down to it with Dixon. I mean, he's, he's had five poles here, as you mentioned, won this race in 2008, but it's just, it's shocking that this is his only win back in 2008. He's been so good. He's led so many laps. He could become the all-time lap leader for the Indy 500 on Sunday as well. So, a lot at stake for him, and I think if he can pick up that second Indy 500 win, it would kind of cement his legacy in the sport.
3: So his legacy, uh, I mean, you're, you're you know, along with your podcast, new track uh, record, uh, of course that uh, that you're involved in with uh, with your um, your partners and that as well. I just wonder, uh, we sort of, I think, at home in New Zealand, from time to time, because he's out of sight uh, and doesn't have much time at home, we, we kind of don't have uh, the recognition for Scott Dixon from time to time. I mean, every now and then he's a nomination on our Sportsman of the Year as such. Just how highly regarded is Scott Dixon from your point of view?
12: Yeah, I mean, in IndyCar, fans, I mean, I think fans have the utmost respect for him. I think a lot of people see him as as the GOAT, if you will. Uh, 50 IndyCar wins, he's uh, catching up there, just a couple of behind Mario Andretti and then, Who knows, maybe he could catch A.J. Foyt in a couple of years. But uh, he's very well respected, not just in the paddock with the drivers, but also with the fans. And I think the only thing missing on his resume is being a uh, multiple-time Indy 500 winner because he's done everything else. I mean, he's won so many championships, had that great run in 2020, winning the first three races of the season to pick up uh, his sixth title. So one more title, he kind of reaches that pantheon in motorsports as well with, with seven. So that's kind of the other thing to check off on the list, but yeah, he's very highly regarded, but also at the same time, you mentioned kind of out of sight for New Zealanders. He's pretty content, you know, not necessarily being in the spotlight. I mean, he, he does his job, he goes to work and he's had so much success, but he's also a guy that doesn't mind kind of the, kind of the quiet life and living in Indianapolis.
3: It's been great catching up with you, Caleb, and uh, thanks so much for giving us uh, a deeper insight into this great race coming up—the greatest spectacle in racing. Uh, New Zealand time, four forty-five, it begins uh, next Monday, and uh, we shall be glued to the screen, I'm sure. Just not motor racing fans. Hey, hey thanks for your time, and enjoy the event uh, yet again. And uh, we hope to catch up with you again in the future. Thank you, Caleb.
12: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ian.
3: Thank you. Caleb Hatch there, folks, uh, and his podcast is New Track Record, everything you, you want to know, uh, particularly about, at, at the moment, uh, about the uh, Indianapolis 500, the great race itself. Uh, just lo- looking at some of the stats there, uh, Dixon, to achieve pole position, four laps at an average speed of three hundred and seventy-six, three hundred 376.660 kilometres per hour. Just work that out. Makes a bit of a mockery of going over the Napier Taupo Road at 80k. I can tell you that it's uh, 1018 here on SCNZ.
2: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in our This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions. The panel.
7: Talk, talk,
3: joined this morning by Mark Hinton and Ross Carl as we look at uh, a number of issues and we can't get away from this one, Mark Hinton uh, it's been uh, one of the themes of the show um, and the station in fact over the last couple of days, this Matt Lodge scenario, now playing second division rugby in Brisbane we're told, uh, with $700,000 of Warriors money in his back pocket how cool for Matt Lodge
11: Yeah, (laughs) Smithy this is just remarkable uh, um, and scenes to me and to you and to, I guess, a lot of people in New Zealand and in Australia that this is just another example of the club dropping the ball. Look, I, We may not know all the details of this um, arrangement, shall we say, they, uh, that the club has with with Lodge, and I understand the Warriors CEO, Cameron George, who's, who's normally pretty upfront about things, is is sort of hiding behind confidentiality arrangements here so so whether we know the full story but what we do know is the Warriors have paid about out $700,000 um, for him to go play uh, suburban rugby in, in, in Brisbane and um, um, it just seems extraordinary basically he's going to be hit, hit on their salary tax for the next uh, season and uh, the this rest of the season and next season for what? Um, it just, uh, uh, the mind boggles. The mind boggles for a club that doesn't, hasn't got a lot right in, in uh, 2022 and doesn't seem to have this one right. Why would you release the guy, you know, um, for reasons, I guess, that are personal to him? His family didn't want to move to Auckland. Um, why would you release him but still pay him out? It doesn't make sense. And I'm not sure we've heard, heard a viable explanation.
3: No, I agree. Uh, Ross, Carl, I wouldn't mind having his agent, if I needed an agent, I wouldn't mind having his because it, do, it doesn't seem that uh, when he signed this, there, there was too many upsides from the, from the Warriors' point of view. I mean, I look at something like that and I'd say, uh, at, at some point he will re-sign with someone, Ross, and he'll actually be paid by the Warriors to beat the Warriors at that exor- exorbitant amount of money. Well,
1: and that
13: was the amazing thing when they first signed him because Brisbane were paying the first million dollars of the contract. So they they seem to be getting that deal. And then suddenly this information breaks this week and it's a completely different kind of deal. And it's really hard to kind of get your head around how this works, especially when you has been with the club for less than a year. Um, but I suppose to me, Smithy, these, you know, they say that, you know, the best indicator of future behaviour is past behaviour. So if you sign a person like that, don't expect to rely on
3: Yeah, I think that's a a pretty good point. He had a checkered uh, background, of course, and this just adds to it as well, but he is laughing He's laughing his way to the bank. I mean, Ross, in in business terms, if you look at business terms, at the very least, when you have a contract and you have to pay a guy out over a period of time who can't work for you anymore as such, there's something like a restraint of trade or something in there, but it doesn't. uh, Maybe there is one, and that's why he's playing a bit of uh, second division rugby in Brisbane, but you'd hope at least there's a restraint of trade.
13: Well, his rugby coach, I read, um, basically said, well, we don't expect him to have him next week. He might be signed to a new NRL contract. So if that's anything to go by, maybe not.
3: OK, right. Let's uh, get to some uh, rugby, Mark Hinton. Uh, this gonna, it baffles me. Absolutely. I, I, I like Cameron George. I know Cameron George. I just hope at some stage we'll, we'll get to the bottom of this so we can get some... Clarification uh, An opinion uh, from Sir John Kerwin Yesterday, uh, Mark Hinton To the effect that he thinks Roger Tuovasashek has done enough and should be in the All Blacks from the get go, how are you feeling about this? Uh,
11: yeah, I, I would agree with JK on this one, I don't always agree with Some of his views, but I think he's got this one Right, I think he will be in there um, But uh, but he may not be The starting 12, I, I, I I get a feeling that the All Blacks will look at Roger Tuivasa-Shek as a project in 2022 and, and basically continue to fast-track his development. Look, he, I, I spoke to him this week, Smithy, for a, a feature that will run in our National Sunday papers at the weekend. It's just remarkable, this guy's um, attention to detail, his um, commitment, his drive. Um, for a guy that's done what he's done across in the other code, uh, he really is putting everything into this rugby thing and, and, and leaving no stone unturned and really does have the blinkers on. He's not even thinking about the All Blacks as far as he's concerned because he just has so much sort of on a weekly basis to think about around rugby because the game doesn't come naturally to him yet. Look for a guy who the game doesn't come naturally to. He's starting to play very, very well, isn't he? You have to think there's so much upside in him. That the All Blacks will carry him. I have him about... Um, I have him two or three on my depth chart, Smithy at 12. You know, I think Kuntupap Tupaea is probably the form 12 in the New Zealand game at the moment. I think Jack Goodhue uh, is probably the premier 12 in the New Zealand game when he gets back into full flight. We know he's coming back from a long-term injury. Of course, there's the Geordie Barrett factor, do that? Are they tempted to push him there and allow Will Jordan to play in his best position? And look, I have David Havili down around four or five. I just don't think he's he's kicked on from last year. He, his form was pretty average on the end of year at the well, the back half of the end of the year um tour scenario um and so i have them sort of maybe on the outside looking in although i do know their loyalty to incumbents, so uh, it's a very interesting position but i think they have to find room for roger to of us to shoot Smithy. his upside is that much
3: yeah I, I tend to agree that they will i'm not 100 percent sure that he's shown me enough just personally but ross what about you
13: I'd be happy for him to start from the All Blacks. Um, probably my mind has changed slightly over the last couple of weeks because of the former player and the power running he has, his ability to break tackles and get over the gain line. I think that word is the key thing for the All Blacks. At 2019 in the semi-final, they struggled because they didn't have a person to get over the gain line. You know, Jack Goodhue and Anton Brown aren't known as guys who smash and bash and get through those holes and get over. They're more touch players. They're more about finding holes, moving laterally, um, running good lines outside of people, um, which is why I think that Jack could use maybe more of a centre than he is a second five. Um, he's a big body, but he doesn't necessarily use it in that way. So for me, it comes down to, to player and Roger tuivasa to because I think if you, you certainly look to fullback, it's hard to ignore Geordie Barrett as fullback. So... Yeah, I'll put Roger Tuibashek there. He offers a slightly different kind of thing at the game line where it's a little bit of late foot movement and those kind of things. Probably needs to add a kicking game in there, at least the ability. But having been a first receiver in league, we've seen that his distribution skills are good. His defense is getting there. We saw how fast he is when he ran down Nick White on the weekend over 60 meters. Um, I think that cohesion is really important. Bowden Barrett is the best team in the country. Rico Ioane, for me, is the best 13 in the country. So a person who plays between them, um, like RTS, for me, should get a shot this year. And they need to settle this year. We've just been chopping and changing for years in the midfield. If they want to win the World Cup next year, they need to have a balanced midfield that's been there and knows each other. I think that they've got to give him a shot this year. Otherwise, there's really no point in them giving him the shot next year.
3: I totally agree. If it is to be, it should be as soon as possible. Uh, for time uh, under their strategies, not just the blue strategies. Although there is a, an element in common there, and that of course is Joe Smith. Uh, right. It's ten thirty one here on SENZ, We're going to take a very short break for the news. When we come back, we'll have Ross Carl and Mark Hinton with some more issues.
6: Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Talk, talk,
3: 10.34 here on SENZ and we're smack bang in the middle of the panel with uh, Ross Carl and Mark Hinton and uh, Mark I see uh, Brody Retallick set to return uh, to the fold for the Chiefs in Lotoka at the weekend, that'll be a nice little warm comeback for him but also uh, alongside each other in the uh, Crusaders starting lineup, uh, Scott Barrett and uh, of course, Sam Whitelock. So the, the old boys uh, might be just getting a little bit nervous. Uh, a month to go in Super Rugby before uh, we get set for International Rugby. What do you reckon about the locking situation?
11: Yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, Lock uh, almost encapsulates the cha- the challenges, I guess, or the uh, dilemma facing uh, All Blacks coach Ian Foster Ross. Talked about it. Um, there's you know, there's really only a month and a half, uh, sorry, a year and a half to go to the Rugby World Cup. There is no time for, for kind of mucking around. There's no time for experimentation now, Smithy. Um, Foster has to settle on, on, on his group for the World Cup now and start playing them t- together and start giving them, you know, time to build that form and momentum and to turn things around from what we saw at the end of last year. And you know they've got a guy like Sam Whitlock, like, what a servant for New Zealand rugby he's been. But d- does he go another year and a half? That's one of the big questions Ian Foster's going to have to ask. And you have to think that the next, not, not so much this weekend, um, but certainly you know quarterfinals, semi-finals, final of Super Rugby, uh, it tells you it tells you a lot about test match readiness, probably more than, than a regular season of Super Rugby does. Um, you know, this is when it all goes on the line. This is when the intensity ramps up. This is when you see the class of people. So, uh, yeah, I, I really believe, particularly a Sam Whitelock, but even the Brodie Retallick, who hasn't played as much this year as he would have liked, they have a lot to show over the next three, four weeks. And um, the lock situation, Tupou Vai, to me, He's a must-start for the All Blacks now, almost. I think you need a young, athletic, dynamic lock in the mix. So who are you starting with? Well, Brody Retellick gets to show on on, on Saturday against the Druah that, that, you know, it, for the first time, I guess, um, in a while, that it should be him. And you would think it would be him. Then you've got Sam, of course, Scott Barrett, also hovering, a very good footballer. So some decisions to make, Smithy. and I think the next three, four weeks might shape those. Who starts against the Irish? Who comes off the bench? you know, and do, who who gets the chance, basically, to show that the all-black forwards aren't the cream puffs they were at the end of last year?
3: Very good point, uh, very good point because uh, Ross, we do talk about the the pretty boy side of it, uh, the backs, and uh, we look on the focus of those who are going to score the great tries and that for us and set up our midfield defence, etc. But even um, even though the, the newbies in rugby understand the term, you've got to win it up front first, and we haven't been doing that, so these locking situations, these front row situations deserve a hell of a lot of scrutiny this time round.
13: That's right. And and that's where Brody Rotalic's I think really, really important. You know, he's thirty years old. He's had a few injuries, he's had bat call. We're not a hundred percent sure where he's at, but what we know is when he's at his best, he is the best. Um, but it's been a while since that era when Brody Rotalic and Sam White Lock maybe twenty twelve to twenty eighteen, undoubtedly the world's best locking combination. They used to Tear the wallabies apart. is to take the springboks apart, both on offensive and defensive lineups. We haven't seen that for a while, and I think, to repeat Mark's point, it's probably been a couple of years since we've seen vintage Sam Whitelock. You know, he still puts in a big shift and gets the work done, but maybe isn't where he was. Um, Scott Barrett is unreliable because of his discipline issues. Great player, but you never know whether he's going to be with you week by week in the last couple of years. And the group below... We just don't know whether they're world-class. And so when Patrick Tupelozhu comes back, there's a real need for him to almost be able to walk straight into this team because the rest are kind of untested, whether it's Tupo or, um, you know, they've got a group of locks at the Chiefs that look like they've got quality, Koi, Finau, like there's some good players floating around, Quentin Stranger's the Crusaders, but we don't know enough about them at the top level a year out from a World Cup. Probably the the person that I'd like to see have a crack is James Tucker from the Blues, because he seems to have a Test match approach. He seems to get in there, do the hard yards, clear out rocks, put in tackles, get his body on the line, and, and maybe that's the kind of person that we need in the squad to do what you're talking about, set that foundation, and worry a little bit less about the fancy ball skills or the ability to run with it, and just get the job done. That's an
3: interesting point you make too. Uh, Ross uh, about Patrick Torpolota Because of course uh, he's playing Overseas and that's exactly where Brodie Retallick uh, Played overseas and it appeared to Just drop off a wee bit in intensity so Are you expecting Torpolota Just to come back and hit the ground running when he does
13: Well I wouldn't Have thought so, it surely can't be that easy You know they talk about it being much easier on the Body over there and they all do when they come Back because it's a different kind of rugby I'm sure that that's changing slightly As there are more and more players of Brody Retallix, Ilk, who go over there and Brody throws himself into everything, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of a worry. And I think it's also a bit of a worry because when you look at the loose forward trio and, you know, you'd expect Sam Kane being the captain to be there and you'd expect Artie Savia to be, as the best player, to be at number eight. So you've got two pretty undersized guys for lineups and internationals. So the importance of getting this locking combination right, especially if we're unsure whether Shanda Frazell's back in time as a good... Blindside locking option, um, uh, blindside, sorry, jumping option. I I just worry a little bit about that area and whether that area that they've been so strong, the line out and around the field with those players is still in the place that it should be. And they're going to have to have a really good think about what they do with their number six to help support these locks, whoever they choose, because they're going to need that person to be a really good option.
3: Well, uh, Mark Hinton just changing uh, codes uh, to cricket, and we have to because it's uh, only a week away now to the first ball, first test, Lords. Uh, Good news for us. um, Stuart Broad, who uh, is in the England camp, of course, is already complaining about the Duke ball, saying it's like a piece of plaster seen to bowl with, which I would imagine is great news for batsmen. (laughs)
11: Just quickly um, uh, Before I address that point I'll I'll, I'll just take Ross to issue On one thing he said there And that's that Sam Cain's an automatic selection I don't think he is I think Dalton Papali'i is so far and away The best number 7 in New Zealand rugby That Ian Foster has to be really Really thinking about who his number 7 Is is going to be And he's going to have a tough choice Anyway, going on to the cricket uh, (laughs) I'm pleased you raised this Because this to me just just smacks off of a team getting its excuses in first, doesn't it? You know, this isn't what England cricket really needs, given the state they're in and and given this kind of rebuilding nature of of where they are. You know, a leader, a guy, a senior player coming out and, and kind of already complaining, already kind of lining up the excuses. Look, you know, whatever ball it is, whatever the ball does, it's the same for both sides. Just get on with it, mate. And play your best cricket and do your best with whatever equipment you're given. I don't buy I don't buy this movie. I don't buy it at all.
3: No, you wouldn't get a young bowler saying that this far out from a, the start of a test match. I can tell you that right here and now. But they do when they make a bad batch of cricket balls. I can promise you they make a bad batch of cricket balls. And usually it's the bowlers that complain about it. Fellas, uh, thank you very much. Mark Hinton, Ross Carl, thanks for your input this morning on the panel. It's been great. Uh, We shall have another one at the same time tomorrow morning, folks. Uh, Two very learned gentlemen there joining us. Uh, We'll come back very shortly with some of your very good texts. And then, of course, we'll be talking to Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris from the TAB before 11.
2: Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Yes it is, it's 10.47.2 And the texts that have come in this morning On a variety of subjects First of all, Gemma should have got at least Two years extension for a new team You need stability, she proved last year She can coach, also gives surety To any potential signings who their coach is going to be. That from James this morning on uh, our first guest of the show, which uh, was Gemma Lewis. Uh, yes, uh, of course, as uh, the news has come through that she has got uh, another year uh, with the Phoenix, they've agreed to terms, which is uh, fantastic news. So, uh, good thought there, too, James. I think uh, just talking to Gemma Lewis and just looking how she was able to mould a squad together so quickly, uh, I think you're pretty close. Pretty close. Um, uh, Stockley, why is Sam Kane a given? Um, uh, I don't know. Is he a given? Arise uh, Arty Savia is New Zealand's best number seven. He needs to go back there and we find a number eight. Right, that's from PD. Ken comes in and says, Smithy, those panellists talk so much sense about RTS and Dalton Popoliti being the best seven in New Zealand by a long shot. Make him captain. Well, that's Ken, of course. Uh, Ken's a blues man. We know that through and through. But a lot of people are talking about Dalton Popoliti which gives me a a theme for tomorrow morning, and I'll make a board decision here, a corporate board decision. We'll put $100 up in terms of vouchers for the Chemist Warehouse to end the week off, $100 uh, for your calls just after 9.30 this morning. Who should be the all-black number seven and why? Who should be? I'll give you a day to think about it. Who should be the all-black number seven and why? That's for $100.00 chemist warehouse voucher uh, 0800 150811 write write the number down that's for tomorrow morning just after nine thirty. um and if i get in trouble with the bosses i'll just have to wear it won't i uh let's hear a little bit more about uh it's the nrl 360 now this is a good one from quinton very short though uh but it is food for thought is the NRL 360 a reliable source of information? They don't get many news stories correct, especially about the Warriors. So are we barking up the wrong tree on some of these things? Uh, thanks very much, uh, Quinton. Uh, Brian says, we need to remember that SBW played rugby in France before coming back to New Zealand, so it takes a few years to learn. We've got to be patient. Grant has come in and said, tell Graham the Crusaders versus the Brumbies can only be a semi. So he's uh, worked out... Uh, the, the connotations of the draw risen, uh, In terms of win-lose And who would play anyone on either side So uh, thanks very much for updating us there Grant More to read out in the next hour It is 10.50 here on SENZ
2: Voice of sport in our Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ
5: The loveracing.nz update Your home for everything Thoroughbred Racing Visit loveracing.nz Racing's biggest fan
3: Louis Herman Watt with us uh, as we approach another busy weekend of racing but today they're going around at Otaki. nine races starting at uh, 11.20 so in about 25 minutes time uh, Louis, so you might have one there or not, but you will have a view on the Brisbane races, which, of course, has got a big Kiwi contingent this weekend at Eagle Farm.
1: Yeah, there's... Uh, look, the, the heavy track at Otaki today, so they will trip a few punters up, no doubt. Um, CD, some nice, nice enough ones going round. It's a start. At the moment, it's tricky on these wet tracks because the real wet trackers are just coming back. So uh, it's just starting to kind of work out which ones are at the end of it, which ones are not quite fit enough, and then who's in the sweet spot. I don't mind... Race number six, White Lightning at $3, but it's short enough. I might wait for it to drift out a bit. Race six at Otaki, number six, White Lightning. We'll see if it drifts. Uh, Race four, Queen of Spades was the other one I was watching. Smithy, you're right. This weekend, the Queensland Derby. Am I insane to think that we're not a trifecta chance here? Pinarello, Tutakaka, Dark Destroyer?
3: Well, uh, Pinarello's drawn really wide, hasn't it? That's Leithin, mount, of course, for the Lindsay. So um, what what are we thinking around Pinarello in the draw? Uh, Pretty good text here, actually. We didn't get to on
1: breakfast, but I was going to save up for tomorrow morning. It says, um, would you have thought that Pinarello would be getting back from anyway, no matter the draw, so is 20 even a handicap? Well, look, it's wide enough. I think Pinarello is best when it's ridden not cold, but off the pace. And I think it's fine Smithy that day the track will be chopping up that time of the day the track will be chopping up I reckon Leith will be able to get it into a rhythm and it'll be one sustained run from probably about the 700 uh, and he'll be trying to loop them and if it lets down like it has done previously there's no reason, it just depends on the pace and the tempo where the Dark Destroyer mm. up the top can set it up enough that it's a true staying contest but Tudekark is the other one, like Tony Pike's no mug and this is another beautifully bred uh, Tavistock, um, of course out of Malika Bell so I have to melody uh, Bell um, yeah the Kiwis in the Queensland Derby red hot chances mate
3: Babylon Berlin was uh, that just
1: a blip on the radar last time out mm, yeah I th- would have said so but again the, the the wide draw at that time of the day I, I just I don't know if, if these sprinters just get off and they fly away and she just can't catch them she's a good mare so she is due a winning turn but she's long odds and I'd be going on the place not the win
3: Okay, Louis Herman Watt there, thank you very much mate, have a good afternoon on The Punt. Uh, Pip Morris is with us from the TAB and uh, busy day of Greyhounds, uh, two meetings, Cambridge beginning just after midday, Eddington a little later in the afternoon around uh, 4.18. Uh, Pip, good morning to you, so yeah, plenty to think about with the dogs today.
5: Good morning, Smithy. Certainly, it's really nice fields at both meetings as well. Of course, Addington, high grade. Looking forward to the first boards uh, out of that meeting. And for the sports side of things, Smithy, we've got a couple of good promotions, the tennis bonus backs you can place a pre-match head-to-head bet on any French Open 2022 singles match. And if your player loses in the deciding set, we'll refund your bet up to $50 as a bonus bet. And last night, there was a $2,000 bet on the Dow to win the French Open at $4.33. So someone keen on him. And for the Warriors, the Warriors' homecoming money-can't-buy experience, you can win the ultimate Vodafone Warriors experience for yourself and three mates, thanks to the TAB. Prizes include a TAB Club Room tickets to the West Tigers match on July the third, plus flights, accommodation, and more. And all you got to do from there is just simply place a $10 or more anytime try score a bet on any Warriors player on a qualifying match, and you register. You can check out the CNCS at WarriorsHomecoming.co.nz, and Lee Walsh has been the best bet for the anytime try score.
3: Thank you very much to uh, Pip Morris. Have a great afternoon, Pip. Uh, thank you. Talk to you again uh, tomorrow morning, around about the same time. Uh, we're going to be talking Special Olympics. Uh, I love this particular event, Special Olympics. It's a great concept. We're going to be speaking to the CEO of Special Olympics New Zealand, Carolyn Young, after the break. But in the meantime, it is Ottawa time. It's 11 o'clock.
2: SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh,
3: Yes, it is, and it's 11.03 here on SENZ, and uh, a really cool subject uh, I want to talk about now. Uh, It's the countdown is on to the the New Zealand Special Olympics uh, and uh, we are just under 200 days out from the pinnacle sports event for people with intellectual disabilities. 1,500 athletes and coaches will descend on Hamilton in December to compete across 10 different sporting disciplines. It's been a long wait for those involved with the Games. Uh, Like everyone around the world, uh, they've had COVID issues and so they've had postponements But the CEO of the Special Olympics New Zealand, Carolyn Young, is uh, with us this morning. She expects these games to be spectacular. Uh, Carolyn, uh, thank you so much uh, for giving us uh, some of your valuable time. Uh, Can you first of all tell us uh, just a little bit about the structure of the Special Olympics set up in terms of the administrative side of it?
14: Good, Ian, um, and thanks for your time. here. Yeah, look, we're super excited about the National Summer Games, and um, if we think a little bit about the structure, we are called Special Olympics, but we're not part of the Olympic movement. But we do have a four-year cycle, so we um, run through t- four tiers of um, structure. So we have like a Tier 1 to Tier 4 events, and a, you start off initially with a local event. You uh, Athletes would go to... Uh, local event in their region they'd go to the event during the day and they'd come back just like you might go to a netball event or a cricket event or a rugby event Um, And then uh, the next, and that qualifies you to be able to go to a tier two event, which is an overnight or regional event. So you'd travel to somewhere, um, compete, stay overnight, have dinner with the other teams and compete the next day. And that's about preparing you to go to a tier three event, which is our national summer games. And as you say, they're from the 8th to the 12th of December, so five days um, and then, if you you know, uh, from the National Summer Games, the Tier Four event is going to the World Games. So the World Games will have seven to ten thousand athletes competing in a, on a World event every four years. Um, so that's kind of part of what the structure looks like to, to qualify through. Uh, and it's all about providing opportunities to people that otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. I was um, probably like yourself, fortunate enough to be able to participate in a lot of sport when I was younger, and I could did a whole range of things from running to netball to gymnastics to tennis to everything. And if you don't have the skills or haven't got other people of your level that you can compete with, then you get you don't you get to miss out. You don't get to be included. And so at Special Olympics, we include everyone. So the big thing about Special Olympics is having inclusion and being able to be part of something that, where you can make friends and connect with other people. You can travel for the first time um, and just enjoy that comrade, the comradeship that you get when you are part of sport that um, I know yourself have enjoyed for many, many years.
3: Carolyn, in a previous life, I worked uh, for an institution which uh, was quite heavily involved, this is quite some time ago, with um, the, the Special Olympics. And I was able to go to a one or two events. And one of the things I got from it was the joy, uh, the joy of the oh. participants.
14: Yeah. There's certainly something when I I was going to come along and talk to you, I was going to talk a little bit about the joy. You cannot go to a Special Olympics event if it's two teams playing against each other or 20 teams playing against each other. You cannot go to a Special Olympics event without having a smile on your face. The fun and the sportsmanship you just get completely blown away by it I'll, I'll give you an example from the 2017 National Summer Games um, there was a uh, you know swimming's one of our events and and um, in a swimming pool often you'll know in a, in a big pool the the floor of the pool dips away at different times and they the nationals were in Wellington and we had the um, swimming event at the Calverney Aquatic Center and um, the the floor of the pool, you know, the depth of the pool is at a certain depth for a, a bunch of the way and then it drops down it drops away. And there was, a, there was an event on and the, the, all the swimmers were swimming and then one of the athletes that was coming first got a bit spooked by the change in, in the level of the depth so obviously they could see the bottom of the pool quite close to them and then all of a sudden it was a long way away and they stopped. And then the person in the lane either side of them stopped too. And then the people in the lanes either side of them, they stopped. And so all the athletes stopped. And they went to the person that, you know, that was the first person that said, are you okay? And all the people on the sidelines are screaming, keep swimming, keep swimming, come on, keep going. <laughs> and in the meantime, the athletes uh, are like, are you okay? We can do this together. We'll be good. Come on, then, shall we do it? Uh, yes, and back off they go. And it was just so beautiful just to know that they it wasn't about coming first and it wasn't about coming last. It was about having an opportunity to participate with your mates and just making sure that they were okay. And it's that unique thing, that that generosity of spirit that you sometimes lose at high performance sports that is the you know uh, just such great sportsmanship and there's so many stories like that that you would know having if you've gone to a few events that you come away and you are just invigorated and inspired and energized by what you've seen and you just like gee I wish I could be a better person sometimes you know
3: never a more, nap, uh, more aptly named um, competition actually than the Special Olympics for that very reason that you've just outlined now look at the weekend of course uh, 200 days out which is a bit of a milestone uh, you had, yep. uh, what, a special event in Hamilton?
14: We did. We try, as you said at the outset, you know, it was devastating when we had to postpone the Games and everybody, you know, mainstream or Special Olympics, everyone's been a little bit down on, on COVID. And, and a lot of our athletes, they, um, they, a lot of them live in residential care. So they're with a care provider. They are looked after. And a lot of it, for the last two years, they've been kind of locked at home. They haven't been able to go out and participate in events the, the care providers have been care, uh, worried that they would catch COVID and that people would get sick and all of those things. And so there's a lot of fear that's run through the community and a lot of uncertainty about being able to go ahead. And they really felt isolated and not being able to connect with their mates. So a big purpose of the kind of doing the 200 days to go was one, to remind everyone it's on, we're going to get there, you know, get back on your training, let's get back out to events and reinvigorate people and get them confident about what's happening. Um, And also to inspire us as well, you know, I mean, as administrators, you know, we've got a lot of work to do to pull the games together and we want to make sure that we can provide the most amazing experience for our athletes and, um, you know, just a a milestone to mark for the city and Hamilton that, you know, we're coming into town, we need 600 volunteers, it'd be great if you could get in touch with us and see how you might be able to support during that period of time that we're in the city. so um, And hopefully we had, we had a great time um, on, on the weekend. It was just really good fun, and everyone's really looking forward to getting back into it. And just that little reminder that, yes, we're back on track. We're feeling like uh, touch wood COVID's behind us to a certain degree and um, can't wait to, to see everybody in person in Hamilton uh, later in the year.
3: Okay, before we go any further, um, give us a a contact point or a website or something where volunteers um, who might like to commit themselves, even this far out, uh, to helping you out. Have you got some, some point of contact there?
14: Yeah, we've got two sites. So they could go to the speciallympics.org.nz site and from there they can connect through to the National Summer Games site. It's probably the easiest way to do it. There's a, just a button to push for National Summer Games and you'll get onto that website and you can put an inquiry there for about registering for volunteers. So that would be super amazing.
3: OK, well, uh, let, let's hope that you get uh, the amount that you wanted. Now, uh, this I, I would imagine um, It's not heavily funded by too many institutions So who who's behind <laughs> currently these days uh, I hear you laughing in the background uh, 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 Who's behind the Special Olympics who, who are the people that are responsible for helping you?
14: Yeah, look, funding is a, a real challenge for us. And for the Games, we've been really fortunate that the Freemasons have come on board to help partner with us to provide an opportunity to the wider, um, the wider community. So we're really, really thankful for that. And we um, have been with, you know, grassroots uh, funders and Lions Foundation are also looking at, at funding the Games. But we certainly have uh, a whole bunch of money we're still yet to find and looking for more support to come through. You know, we are a grassroots community-based community based organisation so it is, you know, pretty much grass fund, grassroots funding. Um, you know, and you're just on that treadmill all the time looking for more funding because it is a really tough road to hoe because we we offer the opportunity to engage in a really amazing experience and it's not really about having a name on a uniform or, you know, T V viewing or something. Like that. It's about actually feet on the ground and getting involved and actually you embracing the experience and and being a better person out the back of that.
3: Okay, let's uh, look at the event itself, Uh, you're expecting what, 1500 athletes and coaches, so that's uh, a lot of people coming into the Tron as they call it these days. Um, (laughs) uh, So what what, what disciplines, uh, what sports are are we um, likely to see?
14: So we've got 10 sports, so um, a lot of traditional sports like athletics, basketball, um, equestrian, football, golf, uh, we've got ten pin bowling, bocce, indoor bowls, powerlifting and swimming.
3: Okay, so, uh, and, and the other thing for me is age, age range of competitors.
14: Yeah, look, everyone, any age. so basically, you know, generally in a club event, anything from 8 to 80. So um, how how we work is that in Special Olympics, we division our athletes so that we want everybody to have an opportunity to, to compete on a level playing field. So if you're in a 100 metre race, we, we division the athletes so that everybody that has the same time competes against each other, so that everybody has a chance of success and there's no one that's a, a long way in front and no one a long way behind, so everyone's Together, So if you are older or younger or less able or more able, you're still going to be divisioned into an area where you, you'll get success and you'll be able to get an opportunity to be on a, on a dice and receive a medal because we, um, we provide medals to everyone.
3: Uh, Hamilton City Council involved as well?
14: Yeah, so Hamilton City Council have been great today, put a really good bid to, um for the Games and they're supporting us through uh, with some of the venues and, and uh, the logistics around it. So, it's you know, going to the Tron will be pretty cool. We've got um, the uh, Glowbox Arena, which used to be the old Claudelands, is uh, kind of a hub. That's where we're going to have our health screening, our Athletes Village. We've got botching and Inderbol- Bowls there. We'll have the opening and closing ceremony. So, be a, a, and that's the sort of centre point of where the transport will come into and go out of. So from a logistics point of view, we do all the grounded um, practicalities. So as soon as people land in Auckland or Hamilton, we pick them up, we house them, we feed them, we transport them, we do everything from there just to take some of the load of the, the club coaches because it's a lot of work um, You know when you're coming away to an event like this.
3: Uh, Carolyn, just around the country, uh, how many cities, how many towns, etc., would have Special Olympic branch? or call them branches or offices as such um, that people yep. can just get get hold of.
14: So, um, as a national office, we have twenty staff that are sort of that cover all of that. We've got forty two clubs around the country, so they from Bay of Islands down to Invercargill. So there's someone in virtually every area of the country, and we've got some staff that work in in all of the schools and work alongside our clubs to provide opportunities. And we're just rolling out, uh, just the very early stages of rolling out a young athletes programme for children between two and ten. So that early intervention phase of developing the ability to hop and jump and catch and throw and skip and all of those little basic movements that most children would take for granted are things that we need to teach our children and help them reach those milestones at every step along the way through their their lifetime. And, and that early intervention is going to set them up for great success later on. And developing motor skills through sport improves their cognitive ability in order to learn other things in other parts of their life. So it's not just about the opportunity to, you know, play athletics, so run, you know, run an athletics or swim or, or um, play basketball. It's actually what that does in terms of um, not just provide them friends and having fun and engagement, all of those things, but it actually improves their cognitive ability to, to be able to do other things better in other parts of their life, which gives them independence, uh, which things that we might take for granted.
3: Mm, That's the thing, taking things for granted. We we tend to do that way too often uh, these days. The other thing, of course, uh, Caroline, of course, as you mentioned, uh, and I touch wood as I say this, uh, the COVID situation in this country is allowing you to finally get round and, and have this event. But that also means, of course, uh, worldwide um, Special Olympic events will be happening again as well. So and the next one, I believe, on the calendar is the World Games in Berlin in 2023. So um, h- will we have a contingent there? How do you go about selecting that, that kind of group? Yeah,
14: we do. We're super excited. We, have, we get a quota. So um, Specials International allocate out a quota to us, so we've got a quota of athletes and coaches. Um, we've selected Rowena Massey as our Head of Delegations for the team going away. Uh, they'll be away for three weeks or so when they go to Berlin. Um, and we're in the process now of, because the games have been delayed, we're having to start looking at selection processes now for coaches and athletes. So, a slightly different way in which we've done it before because of COVID, but we're kind of trying to be, um, you know, be able to pivot and be adaptable um, to to mark with the times and just work our way through all these things. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've got uh, not all sports, but most sports are covered in our quota. I think Uh, we've got athletics and basketball. We've got temp and bowling. We've got equestrian. We've got um, football, golf swimming and powerlifting that are going to go away to the world game so they're really amazing and they're life-changing experiences you know if you can get a group of people together you would know the person if you're in a team and you go away for a period of time how much you can connect and grow and a lot of these people they, they won't have traveled overseas before they get to see sites and meet people from all around the world that they've never had those opportunities before so it's Pretty, um, it's a pretty amazing opportunity and, and you know, the games are, are sort of, you know, like our games on steroids, you know, they're, um, they're the, usually, usually in that year they're the largest um, uh, a, a sort of humanitarian event in the world. Normally it's sort of, certainly in 2019 that was the case and we'd expect that to be the case in 2023 as well.
3: Carolyn, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, being more enlightened upon Uh, Your organisation and uh, the events that you've got coming up. Uh, As I said, uh, the joy, uh, I'll never forget the joy on the faces I've seen. And uh, congratulations on what you're doing and providing so much of that for so many people. And good luck. Very best of luck with your preparations. and And I hope that we can, before December, catch up with you again for another update.
14: Yeah, absolutely, it'd be fantastic, and we'd love to have you come along to the, the Games as well, so um, thanks very much for your time, and, and specialolympics.org.nz if you want to join. Um.
3: Yep, we'll do that, uh, we'll, and we'll continue to advertise that as well. Carolyn, thank you very much, I uh, hope the rest of your day goes well.
10: You too. got it.
3: Yeah, cheers. Uh, Carolyn Young there, who is the CEO of Special Olympics New Zealand. Uh, wow. It is special. I'm not sure if uh, too many of you out there have actually been to to watch some Special Olympics events, but it is just the joy, the absolute joy of either finishing or looking across at the start line Uh, and and just, you know, having a go. It is just so apparent, Um, more so than most other sporting events you will ever see at any age. Something, it is. It is so aptly named, Special Olympics. Uh, 11.20 here on SENZ, Uh, some more of your texts uh, as we head into uh, 11.30 and get right into this hour before we hand over to Staffy at midday
2: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
3: Number of texts have come in this morning, uh Uh, Morning, Uh, Smithy. You've called many super rugby games and must have seen that Goodhue, Enor, Umaga, Jensen brothers, team, who are all a mile ahead of uh, Roger Tuavasashek. He's going to put pressure on for that position, but maybe next year. Uh, PJ, interesting uh, thoughts there. Miles ahead. Uh, Jack Goodhue just getting back into it. Enor hasn't played a lot of rugby either. He's had terrible injury problems, uh, Braden Enor. Umaga, Jensen boys, yep. Uh, absolutely, going forward. Uh, Timu, yes, I totally agree with that. Uh, So, yeah, uh, PJ, you've got some good points there. I mean, we have got depth there, but it's just finding the timing when to introduce this depth in terms of the timing of the World Cup, and uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest juggling acts they've got. I mean, uh, do they say uh, when it comes to selecting the team against Ireland, we'll we'll stick with the tried and true, and they can prove to us that they're not uh, capable of being uh, good All Blacks again, and 12 months' time, uh, do uh, we give them the opportunity to play their way out, in other words, or do we just say you're out and start afresh? Interesting, very, very interesting. Uh, I'll be mulling over those thoughts, I'm sure, on an individual basis, not just uh, from a team point of view. Uh, Graham, uh, who, incidentally, congratulations, Graham, you you won the voucher this morning, uh, the Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks. Uh, Well done with your call. Uh, Heads up, I think we're. The Crusaders, Brumbies can only be the semi. That's only true. If the Brumbies stay where they are on the table, I think they'll lose and the Chiefs will win and go ahead of them. That's how I see it panning out, but could be wrong. Uh, Okay, Graham, we'll keep an eye on that and all the connotations as we uh, uh, look to go forward. Uh, Morning, Smithy, do you prefer uh, the All Blacks number 12? I think RTS might be better than Haveli, in my opinion. Chris, well, there are signs, aren't there? there? There are absolute signs. I mean, you know, one of the things Sir John Kerwin talked about is ability to step. He has got, as they say, great feet, Roger Tuavasashek. He can break tackles or half tackles, and that means he attracts a lot of attention from defence, and that means uh, you get the, the opportunity to uh, be involved in offloads, a la what Sonny Bill was able to do. Uh, where do you think his development is compared to Sonny Bill Williams, that's, uh, Sonny Bill Williams. that's another interesting factor to bring into it, uh, I think uh, Dale says I think Cameron George is a bit stretched at the moment, uh, Warriors are failing, the horses are failing uh, he should perhaps pick one yeah well they're two very high profile jobs and maybe at, at some point they'll have to make a decision as to which way he goes on that um, but uh, this Matt Lodge thing I, I'm, whether it's going to go away or not, I, I do not know, I, I think if Matt Lodge signs for someone else very quickly, people will continue to look behind the scenes, but, uh, in between the lines and see what is the real reason for this uh, anomaly, it seems to me, in this contract. I just can't imagine. I mean, uh, if it's so easy to break away from a contract and get a bucket load of money from the team you, you contracted to, the then go to another one and get another bucket load of money, why isn't everyone doing it on a on a daily basis? What, what is it? Is there something especially unique about this situation with Lodge to me? Uh, and and was that the real driving force in him leaving the fact that he just didn't want to come and pl- live in New Zealand? Is that... I don't know, Bill. I don't buy into that one either, actually, to be fair. Um, Brendan. So, JK has his eye... Blue's eye patch on, as usual. Just uh, one option. But RTS would, wouldn't make my 23 uh, there's currently better players going around, but we will see him in the black jersey at a later date. It'll be in his contract, just like TJ and his new deal he signed last year. Mm, TJ Perinara hasn't been mentioned for quite some time. Uh, I, some of the RTS uh, still looks lost out there. No way he should be in the All Blacks. Uh, too many good midfield backs. That's Mike uh, coming in from Crusaders country. Um, I have admired, this is Jason from Maroonberg and uh, Victoria in Melbourne, I have admired RTS and I feel that having taken the punt to leave Rugby League to play Rugby Union, I feel from Australia he will do well and I know he has a good chance of playing for the All Blacks. Uh, I agree with uh, Sir John Kerwin. Thanks for your thoughts uh, Jason, thanks very much for listening. It is uh, 11.30 here on SENZ. To all of you, thanks for your correspondence this morning. Uh, we have uh, time for, to reward you with a chance to win $50 from the TAB uh, and some sleep drops as well as we go into uh, another chapter, another thrilling chapter of Stump Smithy after the news here with Aroa.
0: Well, yes, it's that time. Get your whites on, gentlemen. It's time for a spot of cricket. Up for grabs today is... A $50 TAB bonus bet, plus some sleep jobs daytime revived. They're New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us in the middle today, we have Chris from Hamilton. Are you there, mate? Yeah, uh,
6: morning, kids.
0: Good. good morning, Chris. How are you feeling today? Oh, well, not today. The sun's shining. can't complain. Oh, nice, nice. Smithy, yourself, how are you feeling? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. Um, Sun not shining. A little bit overcast down here in Hawke's Bay, but however, that's uh, all good. Uh, Chris, uh, I'm not sure how how confident I feel today. I think think Chris is not a bad competitor, actually, uh, Brian. So uh, what are the uh, categories today for Chris?
0: Okay, so the three categories we have for you to choose from today are cricket, soccer football and the UFC. What would you like to go with? Oh, look, you've got to have a crack at Smithy with cricket, don't you? Oh, I love it, love it, love it, mate, love it, let's go. Oh. Okay, first question. Which team currently sits at the top of the Indian Premier League table? Um,
11: what, after
3: the playoff or at the end of the
0: playoff? Or? Currently, is right right now, is, uh, the question would have been written this morning.
3: Yeah, qualified top, Qu- qualified top, yeah, yeah, qualified top. Yep.
11: Is it the Titans? One of those new
3: teams? Is Gujarat Titans or something? That's a couple of chips down a wicket. Yeah, it is. Uh, right in the slot. You all over there? one?
0: winter smithy? All over there?
3: Yeah, Gu- Gujarat Titans, absolutely. Um, incidentally, I see uh, Mike Hesson's uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore got up uh, overnight and uh, continuing the competition. Uh, Rajasthan Royals, who I think uh, Trent Bolt plays for, have one last shot at it um, early next week to try and requalify with a second life. But so Mike Hesson will be a happy man. Uh, sorry, sorry to digress, Brian. With your uh, quiz, coach, move on.
0: Great coach, great man. Um, who? Second question: Who was the Black Caps' top run scorer in their recent warm-up match against Sussex? Or
3: oh. Tom Latham. A couple of trips, well, away. He's no, taking no, on no, the keeper and no, he's, he's doing well. Away, he's
0: sending yeah. me for six. I think you just sent me for six there, mate. That was brilliant. Smithy, you're all over that?
3: Yeah, 65 retired, I think, really uh, from memory. Uh, we, we, we had a chat to Gary Stead not long ago. I think it was 65 retired. So four players retired once they got to 50. Uh, but Tommy Latham was top. Yep, OK. Question three. Sleep drops and the TAB voucher up for grabs here.
0: OK. Brendan McCullum is now the England test coach. But who did he play against in the final test match for New Zealand? In his final test match, though.
8: Oh.
9: Oh. Australia?
3: That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh. Mate, right in the slot, you hit all three. Unaware, None of them went through to the keeper. Smithy. I knew it. I absolutely knew Chris would have that now. And then the confidence to take us on at cricket, I just thought was... Uh, Chris, absolutely brilliant mate, so you have scooped the pool today, you've got the the sleep drops, uh, not that you need them by the sound of it, you've also got uh, the TAB voucher as well, so uh, stay on the line, and Joey will get your uh, your details from you, Um, congratulations uh, for those of you who are waiting in line, didn't have a chance today, be in tomorrow, we'll have another crack around about uh, 11.32am, Chris's day from Hamilton, we'll be back shortly.
2: Side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run.
3: Yeah, we're going okay too. Uh, we've currently raised uh, $1,010 for our charity, which of course is Women's Refuge. Um, And our Greyhound this week, uh, racing at Addington, race 8, number 1, it's better. Racing at Addington, so race 8, number 1, it's better, is the name of our Greyhound. So uh, make sure uh, you keep an eye on that one for us. Uh, And also tune into uh, SENZ every Sunday morning from 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock. Uh, for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Now, this is hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts, Mark Rosanowski, Greyhound caller, Andy McCook, Greyhound caller as well. Uh, don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's dog speed. Uh, Really cool. Really, really cool. And we'll be talking, uh, I think, tomorrow being Friday with someone else, maybe another trainer from uh, the Greyhound Racing industry. Uh, A couple of other texts have come into play here regarding the All Blacks. I don't know why people get so hung up on who is going to start in each position. Uh, When the selectors will name 40-odd players and change the team each week. I believe the only time we will know who the selectors think are the best is the World Cup final if we make it. Interesting. Um, Not a bad philosophy there. Brad, I think you've pretty much nailed it with uh, your text here. Smithy, personally, I would select RTS in the squad. Uh, Doesn't mean he has to play, get him into the setup so he knows what it's all about and so he knows what it's going to take. I understand that it hamstrings the squad just uh, ever so slightly and another outside chance for the squad probably is stopped. But the midfield pairing, in your mind, Brad, has to be Quintipaya, Jack Goodhue, uh Ioani, will jordan on the wings and geordie at the back interesting will jordan uh, at the back or on the wing geordie barrett at the back or on the wing uh, bowden barrett uh, i think kicking form has a lot to do with it uh, as he's cemented that number 10 spot probably has it now i think on current form anyway richie moonga not playing again this weekend so Bowden Barrett, I think, will be first cab off the rank uh, when it comes to playing against Ireland in those Test matches, which are not too far away, just by the by. And at least uh, the All Blacks will be playing in front of big crowds, and I hope the sell-out crowds around the country, those three Tests um, in Auckland, Wellington and Dunedin, um, as opposed to the England football team and their manager, of course, Gareth Southgate, who's done a pretty good job, said it is an embarrassment for the national team to play without fans and call for better behaviour at stadiums after a string of pitch invasions marred the end of the domestic season. England were ordered to play their next two home games in UEFA competition without supporters present after disturbances during their Euro 2020 final last year. Uh, Southgate's side hosts Italy in the Nations League on June the 11th in a rematch of that actual final. Uh, and that's behind closed doors and the ban on fans attending the second game has been suspended for a probationary period of two years so we're on a yellow card says southgate and we've got the embarrassment now of playing behind closed doors at home we still want to host events we've got a women's euros here this summer uh, which should be a brilliant experience for everyone we're talking about something that could cost us the chance of doing those sorts of things. And, of course, there were very ugly scenes uh, over the weekend, weren't they? Particularly uh, Patrick Vieira getting involved. And how did he get away with that? I mean, he just put the boot into a fan. It's not on for fans to invade the ground. Um, You know, you're you're probably trespassing in that regard. Uh, And it is Patrick Vieira's turf. But it's not a good thing uh, with uh, a high-profile coach of that nature uh, gets caught on video putting the boot into fans. Um, That is not a, a good look at at all. Uh, And staying on the uh, football theme, the British government has issued a license that permits the sale of the Chelsea Football Club to a consortium led by Los Angeles uh, Dodgers part owner Todd Burley and backed by Clear Lake Capital Sports Minister Nadine Dorries said. Current owner Roman Abramovich is subject to sanctions by the British government. The London club up for sale in early March following Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine which Moscow calls a special military operation. We are satisfied the proceeds of the sale will not benefit Roman Abramovich, said uh, uh, Nadine Dorries, or any other sanctioned individuals. And yesterday, the consortium, which uh, agreed to terms to Chelsea for $6.6 billion earlier this month, passed the Premier League owners and directors test. So there you have it, uh, Chelsea fans. Some surety now around your ownership uh, going into next season. Of course, Chelsea in Europe, finishing third uh, in the EPL this season, so uh, something very much to to look forward to there. Zaid, uh, as always, uh, a very busy young man uh, on the text machine, calls in from time to time as well, just says he's very frustrated about Matt Lodge because we've been trying to help him out after he got into that trouble a few years ago, and then they just want to leave our team because we're coming back to New Zealand with all the New Zealand Warriors not from Australia. Mm. Well, wouldn't you want to come and live in New Zealand for a little while anyway just uh, dip your toe in the water not a bad place uh, Matt Lodge um, he also said uh, Tom Robinson the All Blacks for him also Dalton is a very good player and at number seven should be starting there for the All Blacks and a big fan of James Tucker uh, but I'm not sure if uh, he'll make the All Blacks at this point I'm not sure that he will either the locking uh, the locking it, it, the locking is an interesting situation, actually, because you've got your, your incumbents, your, your, your slightly oldies, uh, and your rotelics, um and, and you've got, of course, Sam Whitelock. Then you get your next level in terms of age with your Scotty Barrett's and experience, and then you go down again to Puvai, absolutely uh, outstanding form at the moment. Josh Lord, uh, another one to consider. It uh, would be a great shame if of uh, Paripari Parkinson, who's a giant of a man. At some point, couldn't get back to full fitness uh, and put his uh, stake a claim for him to be part of the All Blacks as well. So, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum that they've got to put together. But we go back to the fact of will we get a clue against Ireland as to uh, the long term, or will we just uh, just see how it goes and let those older players have the opportunity to play their way out of this? Uh, Dean has come in and said, "Smithy, the Crusaders are showing the way. Select players and stick with them." Jordy will be 12, sadly can't pass. Rico will be 13 um, He's because he's uh, forced his pet project. Wing is, wings don't matter, Jordan at 15. After the season, he will be International Player of the Year barring injury. Uh, Jordy looks the goods at 12 and has played World Cup at 10 for the All Blacks in Japan and more than handled it. No need for 10, 15 cover reserve. Jordy covers that, so pick two uh, different midfield, uh, just my opinion. Um, And uh, yeah, very interesting Very, very interesting uh, from uh, Dean Always thinking about what's going on As far as the Highlanders um, uh, Southland Stags of course And uh, the All Blacks are concerned It's 11.48 here on SENZ Uh, Staffy before midday